Momming today with Ronna McDaniel, the second ever woman to chair the Republican National Committee, running it for three election cycles, but also a mother, a mom of two, a busy one at that. Ronna, welcome. <laughs> it's so funny. Great to be with you. I always I see you on television. I always hear you responding to the political news story of the day. But behind all of that, um, you have everyday struggles like every parent out there. Absolutely. I think especially the past two years as moms all over the country have navigated, how do we get our kids in school? How do we help them during this really difficult pandemic? Um, My kids never went back to school five day a week in person for, you know, over a year and a half. And my son's a junior now in high school. And we're now just learning the deficits and what was lost during that really critical time in his education And it's hard. And I think a lot of parents are coming to grips with now, how do we get our kids the education they didn't get during that terrible time? Is your firsthand experience with your son being out of school, having those deficits, does that help craft your political message? It does. You know, Lauren, I gave a speech over a year ago in Nashville and I said, you know, Democrats have awoken a sleeping giant, which was moms, because we were all on the front lines of this on PTA meetings, uh, talking to our teachers, talking to our kids' counselors, who were great, by the way. Uh, my kids' teachers were great, and so were the high school counselors. But we all knew that our kids were not getting what they needed. And my son just took his mask off for the first time two weeks ago. And we were talking about it the other day, and he's like, it's such a huge difference socially. Being able to see my teacher's lips as they're teaching things like Algebra two. And it really has been a struggle that I relate to. And I think it's helped me articulate that because I am a mom um, as chair of the Republican Party. So so one son is a junior in high school. How old is your other child? My daughter's in college, but during the pandemic, she was in high school also. So she started the pandemic as a junior. She was, you know, captain of the tennis team. She never got to have her tennis season Um, And he started in the pandemic as a freshman. So now he's a junior. So he really lost um, his sophomore year. And then now he's like, wait, I have to apply for college. (laughs) I I didn't even get the schooling I deserved. So it's really stressful on these kids. I I know the younger kids have had tons of deficits too. There's been a 364% increase in kids being referred to speech therapy in that kindergarten range. But the high school kids have definitely had an issue as well. Yeah. How so in in your experience? I I think the mental health component of not having the social interaction with their friends, especially in states that were shut down, let's be honest, those are states that were run by Democrat governors. I'm in Michigan. My brother's kids in Florida had homecoming. They had prom. They were in school. They don't even know what we were dealing with. But then now... um, my son's going to have to compete to get into college with kids who had five day a week learning and take the SAT and the ACT with those kids. So it is really stressful for him. And I know for me too, realizing, wait, we're, we're, it's not an even, even playing field state by state. And he's, he's behind and it's not because he's not bright and intelligent and driven. It's because he didn't get the learning he needed Zoom classes were a joke. I sat and watched a lot of them and the kids often had their cameras off. They weren't paying attention. And and studies are showing that kids were not educated at the level they needed. I never thought of it like that. I never took it to that next level that most of the country 
where the older children were in Zoom school, they're competing against the kids who are there five days a week, and they're at a deficit right now for college admission. I, I know, that makes me angry, actually. Me too. Trust me, me too. Wow. It's real. And then to have your son say, you know, mom, I, can I do this? Like, am I going to get into college? You know, it's really, really hard. Oh, and wow. I remember a year ago and I went to my comms team and I'm like, I feel so helpless. You, you, I think moms really felt helpless. We couldn't get the engagement that we needed. The teachers were trying their best. In a lot of cases, the teachers had kids going through what our kids were going through and they were teaching. But the unions and the bureaucracy did not do right by our kids. And that's the issue. Oh, my goodness. Um, so you, you have this helpless feeling. You're talking to other mothers who are often teachers with that same helpless feeling. What did you or someone, you know, do about it? Well, for me, um, you know, just being home as much as I could, talking to my son, keeping that communication open. But, you know, I, I think now in retrospect, you realize these kids were sitting in their room you know, all day on computers for seven hours, which how is that good for them? And, uh, you know, coming out of it, I realized how dark that place was. And now it's how do we make make up for that? But I still think there's a mental health pandemic with kids. I talked to friends of mine whose kids won't leave their house, still are afraid to go to their friends' houses. They're still worried about the pandemic. Kids were traumatized. Rana, so there, there are real issues. What, what about those those kids who are afraid to take their mask off? One of my yeah, friends totally. is um, a, a high school teacher where in, in one of the towns nearby where I live. And it was just a few weeks ago that my oldest was able to take her mask off at school. And, and most of the kids took it off. They're younger. Uh, the first day they were able to. Everybody was so excited. But nearby in the high school, my friend said every single student in most of her classes kept their masks on. I was like, so what did you do? Yep. She's like, I, I took mine off. And she's like, I just think these kids are so brainwashed that they're yep. going to get COVID if they take their mask off. And I, and I couldn't believe it because we're talking about the same county, the same state. Um, and the older kids were diligently keeping their masks on when they could take them off. I said, wow. And that's happening in my son's school, too. And I actually have family members who are the same way, some of my nieces. And it, and their parents aren't that way. It's just the kids. They're so afraid. Ugh. So what does that say to them? Or, Lauren, there's another component. There's a confidence issue now, which is they hide behind the mask and they've been hidden. And so are they going to be able to speak in class? Are they going to be able to be proactive and have that dialogue in the class? So we, I don't think we'll ever know the ramifications, but what I do know is that Democrat politicians from Joe Biden all the way down, Gretchen Whitmer, my state, they let our kids down. And I'm angry and moms across this country are angry. And that's why we're running for school board in droves. But that's why this election is going to be a year for women. And I want to talk about that when we're momming today with Ronna McDaniel returns. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. We're back on. We're momming today. Talking to the chair of the RNC, Ronna McDaniel. Uh, Ronna, so what does, what do the midterms look like in just a few months from now? They look good. I mean, we've had more women candidates that have filed than ever before. 267 
I don't know if you realize, Lauren, but in 2020, we actually doubled the amount of women serving in Congress. We now have 41 women between the House and the Senate. Um, in 2018, we had 13 women in the House. Now we have 33. And we're going to continue that trend. And uh, women have taken the brunt of the Biden uh, disaster, whether it's how do we find daycare for our kids? How do we navigate our kids not getting the education they deserve? And even moms are upset about what's happening in our schools with um, with men, um, biological men competing in girls' sports, which is taking away scholarships and opportunities for our girls. So this is the election for women. I really believe that. How does the transgender issue play out on the national scale in an election when when moms, right, when, when parents are also trying to to maintain sensitivity towards what some children are going through? Totally. And that's you want to be sensitive, but there's also a common sense component, which is if your biolo- biology is, is different, you're not going to be able to swim as fast as a, a man. I'm sorry if Michael Phelps is in the pool, there's not a woman that's going to beat her, beat him um, in, in that situation. So uh, I think a lot of women are looking at this and saying this is taking away scholarships, opportunities, especially what's happening in Pennsylvania right now. And it's just common sense um, that biologically, there's a difference. We have to recognize the science. It's interesting that Democrats use that mantra, follow the science. But on this, they're ignoring the science and it's hurting our our girls and it's going to take away opportunities for them to compete at that high level. Do you travel the country? Oh, I'm all over the country. I was in Milwaukee yesterday. I was in California earlier this week. But what do you see? What like I was in West Texas a few days ago and um, my hotel happened to be uh, right in front of a migrant uh, housing for for children. I tried so hard to get answers from from uh, the guards outside of it, from people in my hotel. And then I went to the oil fields and it just seemed it was everywhere I went. There was a, a Donald Trump sign. It was extreme. I'm not going to lie, because, you know, we don't know what's happening in the next presidential cycle. And then I thought about it and I said, wow, these people are these people are angry. They've had their energy industry, their bread and butter annihilated by by the current administration. And now taxpayer dollars are going to bring illegals over the border and they're putting them behind my hotel, but really throughout the area. And it while they were the nicest people in the world, you could just feel the anger. And I said, well, I don't think it's just in this one small part of Texas. It's not. Listen, we flipped some really key races across the country in areas where Joe Biden won overwhelmingly in 2020. I think of a Senate race we had in Connecticut, a state Senate race that Biden won by close to 20 points. And we just flipped it Republican. The McAllen mayor's race in Texas in an 85% Hispanic community that flipped to a Republican mayor. So we're seeing bellwethers. And really, it's about common sense. The Republican Party right now stands for common sense. Of course, parents should have a say in their kids' education, and Democrats should not be calling us domestic terrorists. Of course, we should use U.S. energy and, uh, and not be giving money to Russia which is invading Ukraine. Uh, Of course, we should have an ID to vote, uh, which Republicans stand for, which makes so much sense. 
and not allow non-citizens to vote, which Democrats just passed in New York and Vermont. I mean, so many issues. Of course, we should have our borders um, secure. Of course, we should make sure drugs aren't coming across. Of course, we should support our police. It is common sense versus crazy right now. And the American people are being governed by crazy policies that are hurting and affecting them. And that is why they're upset. How did we, they didn't think this could happen. How they did didn't we, think it could happen. I know. And how did we get here in such a short period of time? I think uh, some people thought Biden was going to govern from the middle. If you listen to his inaugural address, if you look at how he ran and he has governed uh, so weakly and so progressively left. Uh, look at the failure to withdraw from Afghanistan, which I think gave Putin uh, oh, an opening to go into Ukraine. He saw how incompetent Biden was and said, this is my moment. On every single level, Biden has been a disaster and he's ignored and turned his back on the American people as they're really suffering. And I think that's a big part of it, too. He doesn't acknowledge the real issues that people are feeling right now, especially financially. And his vice president um, is a big disappointment for a lot of people, particularly women, right, who were excited yeah. to see that, wow, a female is is the vice president of the United States. Um, wh- what do we do with Kamala Harris? I, like, I know that sounds like such an ignorant question, but uh, she can't run with him in 24. Or can she? I mean... The fact that she laughs off serious problems, that she's been given this platform to be the first female vice president and she isn't being uh, leading on key issues. Look at the border. She hasn't even visited. Look at what she did in Poland last week as she's giggling through a press conference as the Ukrainian people are being slaughtered. It's just embarrassing for women because it is a milestone. And I think a lot of women, Republican or Democrat, want to see the first female vice president at least, you know, be successful in some way or at least be able to hold her head high that she's, you know, leading on issues. But Kamala Harris is a disaster. What's the problem, though? Like, how is it so bad? You know, in the beginning, I wanted to give her some grace because she had tendencies like the laugh that I feel I have that I try to overcome in a public situation or when I'm, you know, among men or in a power position. But, but I'm not vice president of the United States and nowhere near <laughs> there. So, I, you know, but, but then it just kept happening like over and over again. And each time is more egregious than the other in the most serious and cir- serious of, of circumstances. What what is the problem? Well, I think it's two things. I think one is This is a president and vice president who were not truly vetted by the press. The press gave them a free pass as they were running. And so we didn't really see um, their substance as they were candidates. And then I think they're protected by their staff and also the press now that they're in office. And uh, I don't think they are really seeing how the American people are struggling right now. I don't even know if they know. Um, And that's a failure on on them as leaders and it's a failure on the people around them that are preventing them from seeing the real issues um but but again they don't they don't seem to understand it even when they're asked about it i mean when you're calling parents domestic terrorists and we've been on the front lines of getting our kids educated during this really difficult time when you're taking five hundred thousand barrels of russian oil and funding this war and then You know, Biden always is a step behind and we have cleaner oil and and natural gas here and you shut down our pipelines day one and our and our ability to to drill on federal lands. 
It's just a disaster. And I think this election, the American people have common sense and they're going to go to the polls and elect Republicans. Versus crazy. So, uh, you know, you want to say, well, maybe the easy fix is just um, and Biden promised his goal was to get out more. (laughs) Should we put instead of sending her to Europe? I mean, should we put Vice President Harris, just make her do a tour of the United States to see what real people are going through outside of the coasts? I don't think she wants to. I mean, she's been in charge of the border. You were just there. You probably have seen more about the border than she has with with your visit to Texas. And we know we had 100,000 opioid deaths last year. We know that what's coming across our border is getting into our kids and killing them. And they do not care. They know that we have crime spiking across this country. Homicide rates have doubled in, I think, 16 major cities run by Democrats. They do not care. And those are mom issues. Those are issues women who are mothers, she's a stepmother, should be most concerned about. Yep. They don't care. Wow. And they know that our kids are still struggling. So it's not a matter of time and energy. They can do it. They're choosing not to. And that is what's so insulting the American people. Because, yes, go to your Hollywood parties and live in your elite coastal world um, and ignore what the rest of the country is dealing with. And that's what the Democrats have done time after time. And that's why the Republican Party has become the party of Hispanic voters. And and we're gaining with African-American and Asian voters. But we're the country of working people. And that's the gains we're seeing as our party is is growing. How many seats are truly in play in in the House and, and Senate in November? Oh, in the House, there's a lot in play because, you know, there's seats in Illinois and California and and. And even Washington State, I think of Washington 8, um, Kim Schreier's district. I mean, there's just so many seats that are in play. On the Senate side, it's a pretty big map also. We have a bigger map to defend than they do. Mm-hmm. And um, we have about 20 seats up. They have nine. And we're going to have to compete, I, I'd say, in about 16 or 17 state, state seats statewide. Okay. Um, someone asked me mm, a few weeks ago, what is the Republicans' biggest challenge as we head into November? You know, and I, I really, Ron, I struggled so much with the question because I said, well, I feel like they're right on so many issues and, and people are starting to agree with them, like people who normally wouldn't. Um, and then I said, OK, maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's if we go too far in the, you know, um, open up, uh, no lockdown, forget about the mask, you know, too far in that direction. But I don't think that was a good answer. What would your answer be to, to Republicans right now to stay on message and to really, you know, drive it home in November and then in 24? Well, I think Republicans need to stand for something. The fact that we're talking about parental rights, energy independence, religious freedom, rule of law, protecting our, um, def- defending our police, not defunding them, the things that we stand for really resonate. So we have to be for that. Um, I think our biggest challenge is, frankly, a dishonest media and a big tech that puts the thumb on the scale for Democrats. And I think those are two things that we are consistently having to overcome. Joe Biden has a propaganda machine ready to carry any message he puts out. So we have to work twice as hard to make sure the American people are getting the truth. Of course, this isn't a Putin gas hike. Uh, Gas prices were surging long before Russia invaded Ukraine. But Biden 
you know, snaps his fingers and goes on TikTok and says, oh, I'm going to rewrite history. And he has willing participants in that. And that is something we are constantly fighting. Look at the New York Times today, finally verifying that the Hunter Biden laptop was real and legitimate, something that the New York Post was kicked off of Twitter for reporting before the election. These are real issues about freedom of speech and an honest media that we have to deal with and grapple with as Americans. Can you share a little bit of your story, how you got to be where you are? Um, And, you know, I also want to ask you if you ever considered running for office. (laughs) Sure. Um, You know, I grew up in politics. Uh, My grandfather was actually the governor of Michigan. He uh, lived next door to me. So every Sunday we had dinner at his house and he just loved this country. And he always instilled in us never to take it for granted. In fact, when each grandchild turned a certain age, he took us on a month long trip across the United States so that we would understand the blessings of being American. And um, my mom was ran for Senate. I was really turned off by politics, actually, as a teenager working on my mom's Senate race. And then um, my life was not going in that direction. And I moved back to Michigan with our two kids and my husband and started volunteering and ended up running the Michigan party. And then President Trump came to me and said, why don't you run the national party? And prior to that, I was a stay home mom. So it was not a usual path from PB&J to raising a billion dollars, <laughs> making PB&J to raising over a billion dollars. And What do you think um, Donald being, Trump saw in you? I think the thing about Donald Trump is that I loved about him as a candidate is he listened to the local people. He was not always swayed by the D.C. Beltway, uh, you know, punditry. He he when he came to Michigan, I'm like, you can win Michigan, sir. You can win our state if you show up. And he believed me. And he did. He won Michigan for the first time for a Republican in 30 years. And those he, are things wait, that... Wait, Ronnie, he outright believed you? Or he was like, well, come on. I, no, he outright believed me. Every time he came to Michigan, um, I made it a goal to see him every time he came when he was a candidate. And I believed Michigan was winnable. I really did. And I, you know, my Uncle Mitt had run in 2012 And they never came to Michigan post him receiving the nomination. And I was mad at his consultants. I'm like, you have a Michigan story. Michigan's winnable. So that was part of the catalyst for me becoming Michigan chair was to to prove that Michigan was a winnable state. And Trump 100% believed me. And he showed up. He did his last rally in Michigan on election night 2016. And he won. And then he asked me to be chair and my, I said, no. And my husband said, yes, we can do this. And if five years later, um, I think I'll be the longest serving chair in history by the end. You do a fantastic um, job. I, I have to say, Rana, I, I'm such, I'm such a fan. And the story that you just told that your grandfather took each of his grandchildren on a month long trip across the country as a mom, I'm saying, oh, wow, I don't have a child for a month. Freedom! <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> Only half joking. But in reality, true, that's, true. that's the best gift that you can ever give. The quality time and just, I mean, what, what you yeah. see and experience. Yeah, I remember going to Zion and Yellowstone and Yosemite and Grand Canyon. And I was young. How old And I you? went with two. I was, I actually went when I was about eight. Cause wow. I was, My brother was 12 and I had two cousins, two male cousins that were 12. So we were in a van for a month and I was the only girl. Um, But I remember it vividly, probably because I was teased so much, but um, it stuck with me. My grandfather was born in Mexico. He never had a college degree and he ended up running a 
a, a, a car company and then being governor of Michigan, he embodied the American dream, but he really wanted his grandchildren to understand that. And that was a big part of the fabric of our lives, just understanding we can never take this country for granted. You know, Ronald Reagan said, you know, freedom isn't passed along in the bloodstream. It has to be fought for with each generation. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but my grandpa understood that. And, and I feel that way now. I feel like we're on the precipice of an election that will determine the future of this country like no other election. So my parents are getting a call once I hang up with you. And I'm going to say, um, start planning those <laughs> trips. They start in June, end of June. <laughs> It's great because I have like 24 cousins and we all had the same trip. So when we all get together, like even though we weren't on the trip, we all took the same route. And it really is kind of a bonding thing between the cousins. Ron and McDaniel, thank you for the time. Thanks for having me. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.